It's time for Tycoons of Small Biz, spotlighting the true backbone of the American economy, the true tycoons of business in America, the owners, founders, and CEOs of small businesses. The show's hosts, Austin Peterson and Landon Nance, are registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker-dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. The views expressed by your hosts, Austin and Landon, are not necessarily the views of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Backbone Planning Partners is a marketing name for registered representatives of Lincoln Financial Advisors. Now let's lean in as Austin and Landon connect with this week's Tycoons. Good afternoon, Tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I am your host here, as always, Austin Peterson. This week, coming to you live from an undisclosed location in Carlsbad, California, where I'm on vacation with my family. Actually, my kids flew home yesterday, uh, went back to school and work, and my wife and I are just here as a couple for the next uh, several days until this weekend. So we're excited to spend some time here. It could be a little bit warmer, but uh, it's very comfortable. We spent some time at the beach yesterday afternoon, and it was it was fine. That It was 66 degrees and sunny, so we'll, we'll take that over 97 and uh, blazing hot like it is in uh, in Oro Valley, right, Todd? Yeah. yeah. So today, joined by my co-host, Gary Braun of Pivotal Advisors, coming to us from Minnesota. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. And by the way, it's 38 here right now, so I, I don't want to hear anybody complaining at all. <laughs> yeah, well, I so I was in Salt Lake City last week, and it was 28 degrees, and blowing wind just probably 40, 45 miles per hour in about every direction that you could think of at the exact same time, snow coming down. So, uh, you know, trust me, I, I'm not uh, a stranger to that type of weather. So, but uh, today on the program, so actually before I jump in, so let me tell you, if this is the first time you've listened to our program and, uh, and you're wondering what we do here at Tycoons of Small Biz, we're a small business radio program and podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. We believe that the small business owner in our country is truly the backbone of the American economy. And so in May of 2020, we started uh, this program and we've uh, gone, you know, essentially every week uh, since. We did our 100th episode last week. So today is 101, Todd. And uh, what we do is we interview a business owner every single week and let them tell us about their business, share some advice share some of the hardships and, and really good things that happen inside of a business and, and give them an opportunity to basically just share their story or give them a platform to share their story. So with that, we definitely have a tycoon of small biz on the program with us today. You're going to learn about Todd and, and his, uh, what I would call very unique background in terms of what he does. But Todd Jarvis is the attorney and firm owner of Jarvis Legacy. It's a law firm out of Oro Valley, Arizona, which is near Tucson, if you're not familiar. So, Todd, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. So glad to be here. This is, I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited to be here and, uh, and share a little bit about me, a little bit about what I do, and a little, hear a little bit about um, you all are doing up to these days. So, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Excited to, to hear your story. So, wh- why don't we actually start there? Let's, let's start with your personal background. Tell us where you grew up. Tell us you know, about your family today. Tell us what you studied in college, which is very unique given what you do for, you know, for your business today. So why don't we start there and just have you tell us about you personally. Yeah, fantastic. So I guess when you talk about growing up, I claim Utah. Um, I did high school there. I figured that's where we do our growing up, right, in high school. 
Um, had been in Florida and Colorado and other places before that, but uh, did high school in Utah. After that, served a mission for a couple of years and then uh, uh, came home. And actually, one of the uh, one of the guys I worked with on my mission, we became good friends while we we're working out there. And uh, he came home. He lived in Provo. I was up in the Sandy area in, in Salt Lake, uh, Salt Lake area. We kept being friends afterwards. He came home from his mission about a month after I did, and we started hanging out, hanging out with his friends and and his older sister, who is now my wife. So that's how Jane and I met. So we, uh, you know, started our family there, and I uh, went to BYU for my undergrad. I studied uh, at BYU. I studied uh, bioinformatics. So it's kind of a, a marriage of computer science, computer engineering, and and molecular biology and genetics and all that, kind of using computers and and uh, and machine learning to model DNA, model uh, biological processes, and 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 do all that predicting stuff. And uh, it's really interesting stuff. And uh, so um, yeah, when I was also when I was in undergrad, um, I was working for a software company there in the Utah Valley, and uh, um, it's kind of a tech tech arm of a a uh, dental company, dental service provider, and 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 such. Anyways, we were kind of we uh, the tech arm here. We did the uh, like the back office software for dental offices, right? Practice management, CRM stuff, and some hardware with control cameras and stuff. And and so I was working for them full time while I was going to school at BYU because wife and I were starting a family and needed to support them. And so yeah, I I kind of it was in that in that time at that uh, that software company that really learned how much I enjoyed business, how much I enjoyed. Um, uh, not just, I guess I found my entrepreneurial spirit there because I was kind of like an internal entrepreneur in my position there where, um, you know, I started up a couple new departments and new processes and really enjoyed that building and creating, um, uh, feeling. So that's where I was like, you know, I want to go out and start businesses and work in the business industry. And then I kind of got a thought, well, well, if I, uh, Went to law school and became a business attorney. I could have my hands in all sorts of projects, right, and 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 helping businesses uh, succeed and and such. So that's kind of what got me on the trajectory towards law school. Wife and I we moved down to Tucson area because uh, that's where I went to law school at University of Arizona. Um, I uh, got my JD there as well as uh, concurrently with my JD, I worked on and, and uh, received a master's in genetics, um, kind of continuing that uh, bioinformatics background. I wanted to be able to, the reason why I stuck to that, even after I decided I want to go to law school in undergrad, why I didn't kind of transfer to like poli-sci or, or English or history, you know, kind of the, what you'd expect most uh, uh, from someone who's law school bound. Um, reason was because I, I uh, was talking to some career advisors and such, and they're like, you know, if you have a, a strong science background, it can really kind of open more doors as, a, as an attorney. So, so I kind of stuck to that. And it has. It's it's opened a lot of doors, especially with working with business owners, uh, being able to speak tech, understand technology, understand software, and even if we're even if they're not a tech business um, or a biologics business, they uh, technology is such a big part of business design. I mean, look at us. We're you know standing here streaming from three different places in the world and and talking business, right? Um, and having some understanding in, of systems and uh, and technology and automation. It really helps me kind of uh, guide my business owners in a way that a lot of attorneys can't. So, so I got to ask you, Todd. Yeah. You're, you're, you're doing, and I had to look it up, bioinformatics. That wasn't a term that was uh, 
natural to me. So I had to go look that up. You're dealing with DNA and genetics and all that. And one day you're like, I want to be an attorney. I mean, what, what, what was the trigger there? What, I, I know you said you got the entrepreneurial spirit and all the rest of that, but what, going from working with DNA and software and systems and everything to being an attorney, that, that's quite a left turn. So what, what was the trigger there? Yeah. So the trigger there was, I love the science. I love software. I love being in there and the technology, but my personality didn't fit the programmer lifestyle um, and the lab lifestyle. You can even ask my wife. She, she knew when I was working on a project um, <laughs> because I was either home, but not home. If you know what I mean, you know, thinking about it, working on it. And then, you know, you hit roadblocks and it just, it was frustrating. And, and anyway, personality wise, it just didn't fit. And I was using it as a tool, a stepping, stepping tool uh, towards, towards the law degree and towards working with business owners. It allowed me to having that tech background, allowed me to uh, sit for the pat, U.S. patent bar uh, exam. So I'm a registered patent attorney. You have to have meet certain qualifications and with background and, and, and such to be able to uh, sit for that exam and to, um, uh, to write patents and, and such and understand that. So that's another advantage it kind of gave me too. So Interesting. And, and then tell us about your family. I got you off there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So when we came down to law school, we had five kids. So we had started our family already. <laughs> we were a little ways along there. And uh, so, and then my second year in law school, we had our sixth. And so he's our, our young, our, our sixth, I shouldn't say our youngest, because to be continued here. Um, so our <laughs> sixth <laughs> youngest of um, the time. is 11 now. Um, and our oldest is 20. He's currently serving, our two oldest are currently serving missions right now. One's in Minneapolis, one's in the Reno area. And then, um, but yeah, so couple years after, our, our sixth was seven years old. I was well into my career here about seven years in when uh, our our seventh came along. He was a bit of a surprise, and and uh, but a great thing that happened for us. So kind of hit the reset button, but he's he's four now, and we're having a blast. So we call him our glue, right? He kind of, you know, as a family grows and high school happens, kids start going their way. We still all start doing our things, and, and he came along and kind of brought everybody like mom and dad we need you you know <laughs> we're trying to run our businesses we're trying to you know do all this and we needed the support for the family so it's it's been a really good thing so so, so do you still dabble around at all in the dna and genetic side of things or are we all about family business law now oh uh, no definitely i have uh, clients who are in in the pharmaceutical and biologics um arena that i work with um so definitely keeping up there continuing to keep my education kind of going there and attending, you know, trade shows or, or seminars and things like that to, to keep up with it. I have one son who's really interested in, in, uh, in molecular biology and, and, and that side. So we have a lot of fun talking and, and helping him move along in that area. So. And then there's all kinds of law. You said, you know, you said you got to be a patent attorney and whatnot, which is awesome. That, that, that's great. But how did you end up in family business law, which, which is the primary focus of what your firm does, right? Yes. Yeah, so we primarily, um, so what kind of happened is after law school, I hired on the local firm, um, and uh, we had a couple offices, one Phoenix, Tucson, San Diego, and I was kind of working in the in the business side, kind of working with business owners, um, doing a lot of that. And my wife and I, we actually had a bit of a, an experience where over a three-month period, um, 
three of our boys were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And one of them, another a fourth, was in the hospital for eight days with pneumonia. So basically what this was doing was kind of teaching us, hey, life can throw curveballs at you at any time. And kind of made it made me think personally of what would happen if it had been Jaina who had been in the hospital for a week or me. You know, what would happen to our businesses? What would happen to our income? What would happen when we make medical decisions for each other? And that's what got me interested in the estate planning side and the legacy side of things, okay? Because I, I needed it for myself. I, you know, I graduated from law school. I'd taken some estates and trust classes and, and knew you could take control of some of these contingency issues uh, and these difficult situations. Um, and so I started digging and learning about that. And I, I learned how much it integrated and dovetailed in with the work I was doing with business owners. You know, we were doing a lot of contingency planning there. You know, we were dealing with building out operating agreements and buy-sell agreements and making sure they had good relationships that were well explained and, and the expectations between partners were well set to kind of deal with the big what-ifs of business ownership and life, you know, that extends over to the family because the business really is an asset, right? Your business is an asset and you need to view it that way uh, when it comes to how it relates to your family. To you, it might be a hobby as well, a passion, a love, and a service that, you, that you're providing to your community. Uh, but to your spouse and your kids, it's their food on the table, it's their income, right? And so viewing it that way kind of makes you really think, well, I need to make sure that this business keeps providing for my family uh, if I'm not there, either temporarily or permanently. And how's that gonna happen? And how smoothly is that transition gonna go? You know, what is the experience my wife is or your spouse, your husband, your partner? What is that experience they're going to have when something happens to you? And also the kids, right? If something happens to both sure. you and, and and your spouse, you know, what's that experience the kids are going to have immediately and then long term? So that's really got me getting into that and really playing, bringing that part of of, uh, of planning into my practice with, with business owners. Um yeah, so kind of the business owner who got into estate planning, legacy planning, rather than the leg, you know the estate planning attorney who decided they need to know a little bit about business, right? Kind of a different angle. Yeah, very, very personal background and, and you know, purpose behind what you're doing there. So, so give us an overview of, of, of a little bit about the firm itself. What, what are the areas that you work on? Okay, great. Yeah, so... Basically, when I started my firm, I was working, when I worked for the firm before I mentioned, um, worked for one firm for about seven years, and I transitioned out to start this firm. Um, I was working there. I, I did multiple things. Um, they were, uh, one of the partners there was very advanced in, in, in real estate and commercial real estate. So I did a lot of work there, some some real estate, you know, litigation, business commercial litigation. Um, we I started practicing kind of when the heat of 2008's recession was still in place. So we're doing a lot of foreclosure mitigation, bankruptcies, things like that, right? So it's kind of working all these different areas in, in people's lives while building the business uh, business owner um, side of the practice. And uh, so having experienced that kind of got, well, gave me a good foundation. Plus it helped me know what I like to do and what I don't like to do, right? So when I transitioned, out of the firm, about over a year, it was with the the partners there. I you know worked with them to transition out. It was good for all of us. They were kind of um, changing their direction, and, and I was kind of growing. Right, um, a lot of them were retiring, um, so they kind of helped me transition out, and we maintained a really good, strong relationship. But 
when I started the firm in 2008, I had a couple goals. One is that I wanted to niche down and work with business owners on the strategy and planning and development and growth side of things, kind of what people traditionally call like the transactional side. I don't like to use that word transactional. I'll tell you in a minute why, but traditionally that's what kind of people call it, right? You're either doing litigation or you're doing transactional work when it comes to, you know, law that's on the, on the surface. That's how we kind of bifurcate the, the practices. <laughs> um, so, and then meaning I didn't want to do litigation, right? I wasn't, I didn't want, it just wasn't good for my family's the goals. Um, it, I, I didn't. I lost a lot of control over my schedule um, and things like that. That that didn't wasn't conducive to what we were trying to accomplish as a family. And so, um, and then from there, also doing estate planning. So that's what I do, right? I work with business owners and families. You know, I'll do estate planning. I do many uh, estate plans for for families who don't own businesses, for retired couples. You know, that's um, you know kind of like the common estate planning client you think about, right? The retired couple, because they're thinking about it, right? They're thinking about I, my, my years are numbered. Um, so they're kind of the, they're, you know, they're, they're easy to convince they need to come in and do the work. But my practice, I, I focus more on educating and, uh, you know, families who are in the 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe early 60s, and the importance of, of planning. You know, like I said, most of them I'm targeting through my marketing and networking efforts are business owners. So they are in those age groups, right? Um, they traditionally they still have kids at home in most cases, or they're just leaving home. Um, but some of them have really small, you know, small families. They're just growing, and so helping them understand, yeah, we we need to make sure business is successful, but we really really need to make sure that your family is also provided for, and that we have this planning in place uh, to help them do that. So that's that's what we do, right? So a family comes to me with with estate planning needs, wanting to get, you know, maybe do some um, kids protection planning or trust planning, uh, avoid, you know, probate avoidance, kind of some of the traditional things that most people think about when they decide to, to take the step to call an attorney for, for estate planning. If they own a business, then, you know, we, we need to start talking about how to deal with that business and make sure it's aligned with estate planning. Um, because depending on what I've learned, having, you know, been deep in the, the business world is, you know, depending on tax status, depending on goals, we need to make sure we're providing for the estate planning in the proper way. There's, you know, for instance, just a quick example of that is like with S corporations, right? An S corporation can only have certain kind of owners and certain trusts, revocable family trusts, depending on their setup and depending how the, the um, incapacity situation is being dealt with or the death situation is being dealt with. You could, you could really mess up that S corp status and cause the problems if we don't deal with it correctly. So, so yeah, so that's kind of hopefully that, that gets to that point as far as what do I do? You know, um, I mentioned how transactionally, I don't, I don't like calling myself a transactional attorney, mainly because really I'm, I'm fighting to put the counselor and advisor back into the attorney's role. I feel over the last 20 years that um, we've really commoditized ourselves as business attorneys. You know, I, I think it might be, trying to compete with LegalZoom or Rocket Lawyer or something where, hey, I'm just a pile of documents. You need a contract, come to me, I'll draft it. Here it is, bye, right? Where I tell people like, look, documents are free, You're right? <laughs> um, what you hire me for is the strategy, the advice and the counsel and really, you know, putting the planning in place and then, you know, deciding on some outcomes, you know, and then moving towards those outcomes and push their business the right way, not just 
and then we'll the, the, the contracts are and business entity structures are those are the tools we put in place to execute the plan right yeah i, I was listening to one of your podcasts and, and uh you said something i'll probably butcher the numbers but you said something to the effect of you know over 99% of all business owners agree you need to have some kind of a transition plan in place. But then you said there's a really small percentage of owners that actually do. Yeah. Why, why is that? What, what, what gets in their way? Are they just not aware of, they want to do it? Are they just too busy, don't get around to it? Or what's the deal? So what I have found in my practice and the business owners I've interacted with is most business owners, when it comes to their business, they're mostly focused on the revenue and increasing revenue. And a lot of them, especially, you know, in the smaller or mid-market, lower mid-market levels, their main goal is, hey, let's make sure we are, you know, where's the next, where's the next client coming from, right? That's what's top of their mind. They're not thinking about down the road because they feel like they're still trying to get somewhere with their business, <laughs> um, I think, in a lot of ways. So they're like, I will do this contingency planning, but I need to, I need to, you know, have X amount of, I need to feel more comfortable and confident in my business before I feel like I need to do that. Where I have found that the reverse is true, that if you do this planning and do this contingency planning, do, you know, put the right entity structures in place, do basic business strategy and, um, you know, uh, foundational planning, um, that you're taking your business more seriously and you'll see others take your business more seriously and you'll see a bump in, in revenue even just by, by taking, taking these steps in, in planning. I think you mentioned it earlier, Todd, you know, that your business is an asset, right? And, and we, Landon and I in our practice, are constantly working with business owners to see it as an asset we typically use the terminology investment, right? Because it, I mean, it's both, right? And, and investment is an asset, but so many business owners, like you said, especially in that lower to lower middle market, they're focused so much on growing revenue, decreasing taxes, lowering expenses, increasing profit, you know, those sorts of things that are, that are important, but they're really in that providing themselves a job phase, not viewing it as it as it is, meaning that it's an asset or an investment that you're ultimately hoping to sell at some point, right? And you've got to protect that asset and you've got to make sure that it's structured appropriately for that transition. And to your point, having it ready and structured appropriately to, for transition well ahead of that actual transition happening helps to put you in the right frame of mind to grow your business the right way. But it also, if it does come about earlier than expected, you've got, you know, an unanticipated opportunity to sell your business and they come in and see you either don't have the documents prepared or you just barely prepared them after having a business for 20 years, then all of a sudden they wonder what else they need to dig in on and see and double check the financials and double check this and is this business really structured professionally? It, it just creates some, some potential red flags for outside acquirers. Yes, exactly. That's the exact experience I've had um, with business owners as far as when I first meet a business owner and meet with them for the first time, um, the, you know, they usually call me for a document, right? They usually, hey, I need an NDA because I'm dealing with this new manufacturer or I need you know, I'm hiring this person to build out my website. Can you look over this contract? Or I'm leasing this office space, you know, can you do a lease review? I'm like, yes, I can. 
But what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and we're going to uh, we're going to work together in what I call a lift strategy session, right? Um, lift stands for um, legal insurance, finance, and tax, right? And so I send them some homework. They do some homework. They get it back to me, so I'm a little educated on their business, kind of where they're at in these different little you know foundational areas. Um, and uh, you know I set aside two hours, and we're we're kind of digging in and seeing where they're at in the context of this new thing they're coming to me with, right? This new why are you leasing this new space? You know why are you engaging with this new manufacturer? And then we talk through all that and and help them through that strategy session. We really kind of flesh out where they're going. You know help them see some things, see some holes in those foundations, right? Obviously. I'm not doing financial planning. I'm not doing tax advising. Um, I'm not selling them insurance, right? But I need to know where they're at in those different foundations so that I can help them fill those gaps and introduce them to strategic partners who can help them in those areas and, and kind of coach the business owner on how to find the right strategic partner for that area. Because, you know, depending on their needs and their size, you know, different CPAs will be better than others. And some insurance advisors are advisors, some are just order takers. So we just need to make sure that we've connected in the right people um, so that they're kind of filling in those gaps. And, and then when we create this NDA or this lease or whatever else we decided that meeting needs to be done to get them to the next step in their business, those documents are not just legally sound like they would have been had I just you know met with them for a half hour and drafted this document and given it to them, but it's also geared towards pushing them forward, right, and, and to the next step um, in, in that business and really helping them to feel confident, right? But my goal is to help business owners feel confident that the foundation of their business is there to support them because most business owners realize that business requires risk, right? As you said, it's an investment, right? Investment shows growth, but also there's some risk involved, and that's why there's a reward. That's why it's an investment. That's why you gain by owning a business is because as you overcome those risks, you're also reaping the rewards. Um, and as you grow and scale, you're introducing additional risks. You know, you're hiring employees. You know, you're um, you're starting to outsource different things and and such. So um, you're introducing those other risks. You want to make sure that they feel confident that they don't just know how to do their work and provide great service, but they're building upon that strong foundation. That if something does happen, they're ready for it. Right? That contingency planning. This morning, my I I did a I recorded a session about contingency planning versus succession planning. I think you got at that a little bit there, Austin. Where, you know, your contingency planning is what happens on the unintentional exit, right? On the death, divorce, disability issue. That's where your estate planning really steps in. It's a big piece of that contingency planning. Your buy sell agreements with your partners are really a big part of that. But then the succession plan is that intentional sell, like you're saying, like let's get ready so that if you do have that opportunity to sell comes up, you're not in that position where you just described Austin, that you have good foundations and processes in place within the business that it becomes a very attractive thing for a buyer. So Austin talked a little bit about, you know, the value of the business and, and somebody coming to acquire you and not seeing that you haven't addressed these things in 20 years. Or that That's one issue that pops up, but, Let's get real. What are some of the problems that people could run into if they haven't done this estate planning? They haven't done this contingency planning. If it's not in place and something tragic happens, what are the outcomes? Okay. Um, so here's an example. I'm 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 helping someone through right now. It's not, and it's a simple issue, but you can already see how 
difficult it can be, right? A, um, a young, now widow, um, a wife, she has a kid at home still and, and her husband passed away from COVID. And so he owned a business. She and that business had some, uh, it was a service-based business. So there weren't a lot of assets. There wasn't like a fleet of vehicles or anything in there, right? Um, which can cause other issues. But, you know, it had a trust account with some some funds that belonged to clients that she needed to give back to clients. It had some, had a little bit of debt it needed to take care of and it needed to be wrapped up, right? Well, he was a sole owner. Of, it was set up as an LLC and he was a sole member. No one had authority to step in and run and dissolve that company, right? He, uh, there was no planning in place to give her authority to do that. So we had to go through and, and figure out what the best best way of getting her member of membership within the LLC so that she can go ahead and, and get that money back to the clients, get the, get the debt taken care of and, and then kind of resolve everything. Right. So that's just some added expense and some added time and stress because of the unknown. Sure. It ended, you know, it's been a simple thing. It hasn't required a lot of work and, but it's still been a lot of stress for her and a lot of confusion um, and and just worry about, you know, someone's owed money and all these people have, you know, thousands of dollars sitting in this trust account. They're going to want that money back. And she's feeling that pressure to get that done. So that's, you know, that's something that was put on her that didn't necessarily have to be put on her. Um, and it could have it been done smoother, right? You can't really stop um, the bad things from happening. But what our goal is, is to make it to create the best case scenario, right, for for these situations when it happens. Another another thing that can happen that I've seen happen before is when there's not proper planning in place, either a business or even real estate. Uh, work with real estate investors, right? They need to be they need to be dealing with their uh, investments as business investments. Um, but uh, different things that can happen there is if you know if you own a home and and you pass away and you don't have certain planning in place, well, there's gonna be some delays before anybody can access your money to be able to pay your mortgage, to keep the house running, right? I've seen, you know, a daughter called me up once and, and was stressing out because she didn't have the money to pay the mortgage and the, the lender was, was threatening to foreclose, was gonna foreclose on the property wow. because she couldn't pay her dad's mortgage because she couldn't, she didn't could afford it and she couldn't get to her dad's money yet because she was going through the court process to get access to the money. So, so different things like that, you know, and in the business sense, another one that we worry about is when you have partners, um, what's the relationship with a partner's spouse if, that, if one of the partners passes away? What's going to happen then? One thing, most of the time, the spouse doesn't want to be a partner in the business, right? Um, and the partner doesn't want to. I'm in that situation right now, and my brother and I are partners with another partner. And we all said, hey, if you go, I don't want to deal with your wife. <laughs> you know, we, we want to buy you out. We want to be done with that, right? Yeah. But yeah, if that's not planned for, you, you, you kind of become partners by default, don't you? Yeah, a lot of times you can. And uh, and it can just, or they can be a partner without any management rights, but only, only you know, only financial and economic rights. So you're paying dividends out or distributions out to the spouse and they can't do anything. They can't help manage the company because they didn't have management rights. And, and now she's, you know, if it's his wife who, you know, is, was the, 
you know, the deceased, deceased partner's wife is now engaged. She's, you know, she doesn't have any authority to change the situation. So she's kind of relying on the partner. So there's different ways to deal with that. It's, you know, like I said, the, your spouse and your kids view your business as Austin said, as an investment. And, and when you go, they would much rather have the money out of that investment than the business itself. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll, so I'll give you a perfect example here. So, <clears throat> you know, this is kind of the, the key to what you were talking about earlier, where, you know, the documents are free, right? I mean, the documents are the documents. They're going to say what they're going to say. And quite honestly, Rocket Lawyer, LegalZoom, all these, and, and you may even use a different version of it, but all lawyers use templates, right? And you, you adjust those templates to fit the actual situation. But having the documents in place, even if they're very well drafted, is not the end of the scenario, right? And so talking about a buy-sell agreement, Gary's talking about not wanting to be in, in business with his brother's spouse or you know any other partner's spouse, but... I've got an example where I had a I had a client who talked about their buy sell agreement and saying you know you just you just had one partner leave you bought out that partner you redrafted the buy sell agreement now we need to make sure that we fund that buy sell agreement right because that's the difference right having a document is great but if you don't fund that agreement you don't accomplish anything right well the response that I got was yes I know we need to do that. But let us get through this transition. Let's start to look at numbers for life insurance for the for the death portion of the buy sell agreement and disability insurance for the disability portion of the buy sell agreement, right? So we just start to look into those. And lo and behold, his partner at age 45, massive heart attack and gone. Like that, right? So the life insurance isn't in place, neither's disability. And so there's no money to turn to to pay out the spouse at that point. She has no desire to be involved in the business, has no expertise to be involved in the business. And so here's the, here's the double whammy of what happens. He has to set up an agreement with the spouse who's represented by her attorney, of course, and it's amicable. They have a good relationship, but she's represented by her attorney who says, here's what the payout's going to look like, which he has to now take care of with after-tax dollars, right, to buy her out, right? And he's he, that's structured over five years. And then to protect her because she had a good attorney representing her, he had to have life insurance and disability insurance on himself to cover those payments in case something happens to him before she's paid out. If it had been done appropriately and funded appropriately from the get-go, those would have happened. It would have triggered the death benefit on the life insurance. She would have been paid out, tax-free money received on her side, no problem with the finances for the business on his side, and he would have been able to go out and you know, hire somebody to replace his partner to do the things that his partner did rather than needing that money on an after-tax basis every single year to buy out the spouse. Exactly. So I, yeah, it, it just turns into a big mess. You, you got to have the documents drafted appropriately, but the advice on your side and on Landon and I's side and Gary's, I mean, honestly, we're all in the advice business, right? It, it, we get pigeonholed into, for us, it's products. For you, it's the documents, right? Maybe for Gary, it's the training, right? Like the, the PowerPoints or whatever it is, you know, that you guys are providing to the company, 
and and they see that's where they see the value but the value is actually what's right here in the advice that we're providing to those to those clients and so i i just can't it's really hard to communicate that to the end client but that's where the value in what all of us do is let's take a quick break we're gonna we're gonna play a quick call to action for for our uh, listeners and then we'll come back and i've got I think we're going to pivot a little bit. I've got some questions that I uh, that have come to mind for me with your background. So let's listen to that and we'll come on back. Hey there, Tycoons. Austin Peterson here, co-host of Tycoons of Small Biz. If you think you have what it takes to be considered a tycoon and you're wondering how you could become a featured guest, please follow and then message us at Tycoons of Small Biz on LinkedIn. We'd love to have a conversation with you to see if it is a mutually good fit. And if so, we'll get you scheduled for an interview. If you're unsure about being a guest on our podcast, but are contemplating selling your business over the next few years and you'd like to know what your business is worth, please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back. Austin and Gary here with Todd Jarvis of Jarvis Legacy. We're talking all about, you know, the estate planning documents, business planning documents, and so forth that that business owners need to have in place for their business. But I want to pivot a little bit because I think we kind of glossed over this. I mean, your background in technology and, and bioinformatics and so forth, you know, we've just come through this and, you know, I don't know that we're all the way out, but I, I think the fact that the mask mandate is now being dropped for airplane travel is probably an indicator that we're getting pretty close to the end of this, this COVID thing. But your background in genetics and bioinformatics, I think, gives you an understanding beyond what most of us have with what's gone on with the vaccine and, you know, the way that that's kind of been put together, right? Because you got, you got all these people who, and I'm not going to take a side regardless because it becomes so politically charged, but you got some people who, you know, when President Trump was, was, uh, was the president, it was... No, I'm not going to use that vaccine. And then as soon as President Biden's <laughs> the president, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll use the vaccine. You know, Biden's telling me I should get the vaccine. So it's become such a, you know, a mess. But it was manufactured and built so quickly, mainly because of technology that exists today that didn't exist 20 years ago. So I'd love to have, you know, kind of your slant on that and what, you know, help us understand what that what that really means, right? Because I think of, um, what is it? I think it's mRNA, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, that allows us to, you know, kind of build that. So, you know, I'll turn the, the microphone over to you. And if it's beyond what you want to discuss, great. We can move on to something else. But I just thought that it was interesting while we have you to have that discussion. But how often do you get a genetic and DNA type of guy on the, on the radio, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, you know, I think... Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'll, I'll definitely respond to that and talk a little bit about this. Um, again, kind of like you're saying, it's kind of, it's, it's an interesting topic that I don't get a lot discussed a lot because it, like you're saying, it does get kind of politically charged right away, and people start worrying about it, and and uh, and you know, just I, you know, just really polarized a lot of us, right? But yeah, it has been really interesting to watch, and I mean, a couple of those things, you know, we, uh, you know, when when it comes to development and, and such. Um, yeah, I mean, just leaps and bounds. I can remember back from when I was in when it was in school, and we we're just starting to, you know, the goal was the thousand dollar genome, and so basically being able to 
sequence someone's genome for only $1,000, right, was kind of the benchmark we were trying to get to. And, and uh, it's just like any technology, it's just, it's just going crazy and, and uh, advancing so fast. But yet, all it does is expose to us how much we really don't understand, I think, a lot of times. Um, <laughs> and that's kind of uh, one thing I learned, too, as I was going through the training and, and, and keep, keep going through the training is uh, it just the more you know, just the more questions you have. And how much more you you know you might understand that we don't understand, but but with that I think uh, you know with the vaccine it's been really interesting. I I think we learned a lot of of things going through that. One one thing that's interesting is yeah it was done really quickly. The development of the the vaccine was done quickly. Uh, I think for me from what I one of my kind of opinions is one of the things that happened so quickly or, or allowed it to happen so quickly is because we. Um, shortcut or lifted a lot of the regulatory processes involved. Yes, the science has gotten faster and it's gotten better. And and were there some risks taken? That's up for our debate, right? Um, with getting it to market as fast. And uh, um, I, I think personally, I would have personally liked it to see, you know, it would have been nice if we had had more time. But hey, I, I did get vaccinated in full disclosure. I, I did get the one of the vaccines. So I had enough trust into it, in it to do that. Um, but I think a lot of what happened so fast is one, technology is helping us, right? We're getting there faster. We're understanding genetics faster because the whole fact, whole point and the whole reason bioinformatics exists as, a, as an industry and as a discipline is because we kind of got to a point to where we couldn't do anything faster or better or actually do what we needed to do in the wet lab anymore, right? We needed to model these things. We needed computers to speed through the computations and to do all this, you know, um, uh, predictions and, and showing us these things because we can't, we just can't do it at, at the level we needed to uh, fast enough. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of that has helped us get there. But I think when it comes down to it, um, I, you know, the lifting the processes for which approval is uh, done, I think that had a lot to do with how we got to market so fast. I think science happens faster than we realize from my experience and, and working with you know, some pharmaceutical companies and kind of watching the literature, the science happens relatively fast in a lot of cases, as it did in the vaccines. But a lot of what slows it down is the regulation, which was, was from by and large, lifted during this, this vaccine thing. So, yeah, there wasn't as much testing, you know, as you could say, um, but also there wasn't a lot of as much just having as many people review the papers and review this, review the data. And a lot of what has frustrated a lot of people in the biology, uh, in the biologics industry at all. And in general, you know, maybe some of them feel, some of them I've talked to feel like, Hey, this is how it should go every time. Right. I don't know if that really gets to what you're saying, but uh, without trying to get too opinionated about it, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, I think we'll, I think it'll be interesting to watch to see if, if the regular regulatory industry learned anything from how quickly we got it through to see if there's any way we can speed up those processes. Cause a lot of times they, they really kind of uh, aren't needed, but a lot of times they are. I mean, it's really hard when you're dealing with humans, right? The ethics um, is a really difficult and thin, um, thin line to walk um, as far as, you know, we want, we want every drug and everything we're putting into our bodies to be perfect and, and not cause any, harm. Um, but how, you know, how much are we willing to risk not having any therapies for that ultimate goal, which might be 
impossible to meet. So let, let's pull you back to your, your current focus, family law. Let's let's go back there for a second. Okay. Um, and family, dealing with family businesses is interesting. We do it from a, a sales and, and grow your business and top line and everything else. And I got to tell you, dealing with the business is interesting enough as it is, but then you throw the family dynamic on top of it. And, you know, we can all sit in a room together and all agree on something, but then we walk out and you go talk to your dad and you talk to your mom and then they don't agree. And it's just messy, you know, sometimes and family businesses are very unique. What sort of issues are, are unique to families as it pertains to the work that you do? Okay. Yeah. So a lot of times it comes down to, like you're saying, we, when I, when I meet with a family for the estate planning side, and I, I actually do ask, I told you about that homework I give to business owners. And when I meet them, I ask them about whether they've got their estate planning and how much they've got done. Cause I want to know a little bit. And we dive a little bit into their family dynamics because I think it's so much part of their goals and trajectory in their business and life. So yeah, I, you know, dealing with the most common issues that I run across that become difficult situations are where you have, families where some siblings or some children are involved in the business and some aren't and how to deal with that fairly, right? How do you deal with the fact that it's, a, you know, it's mom and dad's business and when they're out of the picture, we all should be treated equally versus, Hey, I've put a lot of blood, sweat and tears in growing this business to where it is. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I, I need some compensation for that. That's where it gets, I, I see the biggest issues and, and see parents, business owners struggling to deal with that because they all care and they all want to do what's right. I haven't run into one that was like, oh, well, whatever, just do this. You know, they all really want to do right by their, by their kids. And um, really, to be honest, the best way to deal with that is through communication. Just like with any of these things, I drive this home to families like, the best way to make sure this, this plan that we're putting in place right now, make sure that this works is communication, okay? Sometimes mom and dad want to just take the documents home and shove them on the shelf and tell, you know, their oldest kid, hey, when you need it, it's over here in the gun safe, right? <laughs> um, but no, it's it's kind of going back to, you know, what, what we've all been saying as far as planning is is outside of the documents, right? The documents are the guidance and they put into words the plan, but the planning and the plan is 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 the execution, right? Of what those documents have tried to describe in words and, and to affect in words. Um, well, that, so that's, where your, that's where your services come in because everybody's version of FAIR is different, especially with the scenario that you outlined. Sometimes we call fair the four-letter F word, but uh, you know, it's everybody thinks of fair differently. But that's where, as as Austin was saying earlier, that's where the talking it through, helping people think about different scenarios, helping people think about how did others handle this, and how did they think about it, and that, that's that's where the an unbiased outside third party can be really helpful. You know, I imagine you have a lot of those types of conversations with people. Yes, 100%. And one thing that I definitely include um, as part of my services with estate planning is family meetings. Um, 
I tell every family I plan with, you know, my, my goal with planning, doing on the estate planning side is to make sure their plan works, right? I mean, you, you, you've probably all seen trusts that are unfunded or aren't properly funded and, and, and have the issues and, and how those are, those are failing, right? Those are failing. Those trusts aren't doing any good if they're not properly funded. So my goal uh, and commitment to the family is to, to do my best to make sure that the plan works when it's needed, not just the day that we signed it. So part of that is communication and having family meetings, pulling everybody together on Zoom because they're spread throughout the country or world, right? And having mom and dad talk through what they've been doing and me there to coordinate that and to help with that. And even, even during the planning process. So there's kind of different places and times when we do the family meetings. It might be, hey, mom and dad want to talk this out before we finalize kind of what they want to be putting into the plan. So we kind of talk it out and get everybody's thoughts and opinions. And then the, the parents can make final decisions or it's happening after the planning. And they're just telling them, hey, this is what's happening. This is why. And then I'm there to field and, and to kind of uh, deal with the questions and moderate that in a, in a way that makes it conducive. Um, uh, and it's for the family. Um, yeah. And then, you know, of course, ongoing support for the family is important. You know, um, a lot of times they, like I said, just kind of sign documents. And it's kind of like, bye, right? I, I believe in, I want clients and families to call me at any time. I'm not going to bill them extra because they're at, telling me they, you know, they're asking me, hey, I bought a new piece of property. How does this integrate with my plan? I'll guide them, direct them through that. Um, I'm going to reach out every three years and at least every three years and do full reviews with them and sit down with them and make sure what they have in place is in place and print out their power of attorneys, power of attorneys, especially financial power of attorneys. Banks get a little leery of, of honoring those if they're more than a couple of years old because they're like, how do I know there's not a new one out there, right? So we reprint those, they sign them and and we kind of revisit things and keep moving forward. So. Yeah, the, yeah, the big takeaway that I'm taking from a lot of this is when people think about their business plan, and then over here you might think about your, your estate planning or whatnot, but that they're integrated. I mean, the, those two things should go hand in hand. How, how do you help people mesh those two? By asking the right questions and helping them, you know, just that's kind of how I drive most of my meetings is just being curious with people. Yeah. Um, and asking questions like, well, what, you know, well, what about this? What happened? You know, what are we going to do with if this happens? Or what are your thoughts on this situation? And, and that kind of helps them, you know, decide and, on what outcome they want. You know, like I was gonna say, I really try to focus on the outcome and the experience that everybody involved is going to be dealing with. Everybody involved in the business or everybody involved in the, in the family planning. Um, what's, what's this experience going to be like for them? And are you okay with that, you know? Talk about in context of their current plan if they've done planning before or, or the state's default plan if they've never done planning. It's like, hey, this is how things are gonna fall out. What do you what are your thoughts on this? And are you you know, what do you think Johnny's gonna think and, and how's that gonna impact them in his situation, you know? So gotta it's gotta be an ongoing conversation too, right? I mean, the family meeting doesn't only happen once or shouldn't just happen once. I mean, even in my own family, my you know, my wife's father, he and I had a conversation probably three or so years ago. And he said, Oh no, they all, they all know they understand. And I said, I'm here to tell you, they don't, they don't know how it's going to, how it's going to unfold. They don't know, you know, the way that you have it laid out. They don't understand what your wishes are. Trust me. They don't understand. Well, I had the conversation with them a few years ago 
I think you had it in passing, but I'm telling you that in conversations that I hear, they don't understand what your wishes are. You just communicated to me what you what you wanted to happen. And I know that, but I'm telling you, they don't know it. And it's up to you to share that information with them in a family meeting. And so we did. We had that family meeting and he laid it out to everybody and he handed kind of everybody an envelope with some information in it. And so, you know, that that kind of helps to move that along. But it, it's not a one-time thing. And, you know, to, to address your comment earlier, Gary, you know, fair and equal are not the same thing, right? And so sometimes when there is a member of the family that's inside of the business and has been for 20 something years, and then other siblings that haven't been a part of that business, that doesn't mean that it should be exactly equal. Right. And I don't know if Todd uses this terminology in his business or, or if it's just something that we use in our business, but we we refer to estate equalization specifically in terms of business interests as opposed to outside net worth and trying to make it equal. But it's a misnomer because it should be to make it fair. Right. And fair is only derived by having a conversation with the matriarch and the patriarch of the family, for example, or matriarchs and patriarchs to have that conversation as to what are your wishes? What do you want to have happen? And then figuring out a plan after that plan has been figured out, then communicating it to the members of the family so that they understand what your frame of mind was and how you came up with that plan rather than, well, that's what the attorney told us to do. So that's what we drafted. And now they're gone and they you know, can't do anything about it. And the kids are left to fight about, you know, what happened. And that's not fair. Why do you get that? We did, you know, I, you know, you worked inside the business, but I did this for mom and dad. I cared for them or, you know, whatever. So it, it's just, it truly is about communicating the plan and then updating the plan on an ongoing basis. Yeah. And including all of the advisors, right? Because I have a perspective, but I don't have the full perspective because I know no one person Right. We need the we needed a CPA's advice, you know, tax counsel. We need, you know, we need Austin and, and Gary and we need everybody feeding in and giving uh, giving guidance on what makes sense. This is in the family understanding how they're communicating and, and what they're trying to accomplish and the team getting together and communicating with each other, not just telling the the couple to go, hey, go tell your accountant X, Y, and Z and ask them this question. Like, no, it's like let's get on the phone, let's all talk, let's let's get this figured out something. In our practice, Landon and I refer to that as, you know, getting together with all the advisors to make sure that there aren't any coordination gaps, right? Because we've got to coordinate. You've got your legal perspective, right? The CPA's got their tax perspective. I may have my own perspective on whatever, a state transfer or the investments and the way that they should transfer and all those sorts of things. But if there's one person and I'm not saying it has to be this way, but typically it, in our practice, it's us who are the quarterback of that team. We're help guiding all of that. And we're asking for the legal perspective and the tax perspective and the insurance perspective and whatever, you know, whoever else is in the room to make sure that we're all rowing the, the same direction. Because, you know, just think of it from income tax, from an income tax perspective, every single year, a CPA wants to save every business owner, every dollar that they can save, Right. But when it comes time to sell that business, was that the best decision, right? You, you may look like you're making way less money in the business than you actually are, 
And because you saved so much in taxes every single year, the value of your business is now less, mm -hmm. right? And so you've got to have all perspectives on the table, not just one, one advisor's perspective. Yeah, it was interesting. I had one of my business owners come to me after last tax season. And he's like, I'm in trouble. He's like, my, my accountant just said my taxes and he put me a showing as a loss. And they made a ton of money, right? But the way they did an accounting, he showed a loss. Like, I can't show the loss. He's a mortgage. He's an independent mortgage broker. Like, I'm, my license is on the line if I'm showing losses, you know? I need mean, to make sure things are go, you know, good to go. So, yeah, I think uh, that, that conversation is, is important. Yeah. Well, we're pushing up against time here. I don't know, Gary, if you've got anything else you want to add or, Todd, if there's anything specific you want to add at the end of our time here. I'll just say it's it's been a great educational conversation learning about all the, the potential pitfalls out there. So I appreciate spending some time with you, Tom. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. This has been a lot of fun, and, and hopefully my ramblings have been helpful for someone. And uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I've I've really enjoyed this. Thank you. I don't have I, I think I you know I've said about everything that I was hoping to say. So thank you. Well, just just tell our listeners where they can track you down, whether it's on LinkedIn or your website, or you want to leave your phone number, whatever you'd like to add there. Yeah, so they can reach out to me. My phone number is 520-333-5123. And then LinkedIn, Todd Jarvis, and Facebook, Todd, Todd Jarvis. Just look for me or Jarvis Legacy, and you'll find me. I'm, I'm active on most social media platforms. So, yeah, let's Great. connect. Yeah, really, really appreciate the time, Todd. The, the message today, obviously, for our listeners is estate planning is important for every business owner, period, and it should be done earlier than later and reviewed on an ongoing basis. So I, I think that's truly the message that we got across today, and I appreciate you being here to share that message with our listeners. You've been listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, proudly hosted by Austin Peterson and Landon Mance. Austin and Landon are comprehensive financial planning professionals specializing in financial, estate, and succession planning for small business owners. Austin and Landon have offices in Scottsdale, Arizona, and Las Vegas, Nevada, and represent clients in 14 states throughout the country. Join Austin, Landon, and the Featured Tycoons live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. right here on Business Radio X and your favorite podcast platform.